All right, we're rolling. We're back. Hello, everybody in podcast land. It's DJ Crystal Clear here with my engineer, Dr. Paul Berlino. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, we're back with episode eight. Uh, My last episode was posted on June 7th, which was a couple of days after my birthday. And June was very crazy, super busy, with a lot of shows and a lot of rehearsals, which is why I'm tardy, which ties into the last episode where we talked about Van Halen. (laughs) (laughs) Or was that six? I can't remember if it was six or seven. Yeah. So June was nuts. It was, it was. I had squirrels outside my, you know... (laughs) Squirrel, outside my window. It couldn't to, be more nuts than that. Trying to scratch their way in here. Yeah. In the middle of the night. Terrible, terrible squirrels. Yeah, it was pretty weird. There was a lot of stuff going on. And now, of course, I can't remember any of it. I felt like I was in three different shows and F-bomb and blah, blah, blah. Oh. Got to go back to your calendar. Your I, Yahoo calendar. My, yeah, my Yahoo. Uh, yeah. Um, which reminds me. So some people have asked me to explain what F-bomb is because you and I... Are talking like like everybody knows like what everybody knows is. what it is, and they don't. So wait, 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 wait. But they're your friends, and they don't know what this is. No, but I mean, they're not New Yorker friends. They're people oh, okay. who live far away. Say. You Pay know, some attention, folks. Yeah, I mean, if they, you know, they'll see me post about the shows and stuff, but they don't really know what the what the story is or what's going on. So, the story behind F bomb. So, fifteen years ago. I guess it was. Probably, yeah. Uh, Morgan Liebman, who heretofore known as Super Morgan, and his friend Mike Sauce, and I couldn't tell you his last name if he had a gun to my head, because he's... Mangan. Mangan, that's it. Uh, Mike Sauce. They started a show at this club called the Delancey, down on the Lower East Side, right by the Williamsburg Bridge, where they picked a night where they would get together and play and sing covers. And it was a crazy mishmash conciliary of mostly metalheads because they did nothing but metal in the beginning for a couple of years I guess in the beginning and it was a sloppy drunken drug fueled hot mess an an actual proper New York Lower East Side evening out yes actually old school and I had the fortune misfortune of catching one of those shows a million years ago and wondering what the fuck is going on everybody in here is wasted and it didn't sound good. So uh, they kept doing the show, and then it moved to Arlene's Grocery, which is a very popular club in the Lower East Side on um, the, on what street is it? Uh, is it? It's not on Rivington, is it? Or is it on Stanton? Stanton, Stanton Street, yeah. Stanton. 95 Stanton Street in the heart of the Lower East Side. And it has expanded. So it started expanding... When you did Alice Cooper, or when David, when we did the David Bowie show? Uh, oh, as far as uh, the the types of uh, music, yeah. No, the very the very first gig I ever did with uh, uh, F Bomb was a show called AM Gold. Oh, that's it. AM Gold. And it was, was their, their very first AM Gold where they started where they did seventies radio hits, you know. Um, and I don't know if that was the first time they ever stretched out, but that was certainly the first time they'd ever stretched out that far. That far. Was that five years ago, four years ago, four years ago? 2015, I believe. So. Four years ago. Okay. Yeah, so they don't just do metal. They do, we've done the Muppets. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we did a Muppet show, uh, David Bowie, Prince. Um, I mean, of course, now all I'm remembering is Motley Crue and Iron Maiden. and <laughs> Right, but we've done the Beatles, Beatles. And, you know, yeah. and Elton John. Yes, Elton John. That was a stretch. Um, yeah, so 
it, the show is monthly. It's the last Saturday of every month at Arlene's Grocery. Starts at uh, 11 o'clock, and it's usually two sets of music, usually two different bands, and then there's always a cavalcade of singers in each set, and it's a minimum of 10 songs per set. And you only have to pay $10 for this. And you're there till 2 in the morning at least. <laughs> morning. Getting but, rocked. Getting rocked. Your face melted. But, you know, you get like $100 worth of show for 10 bucks, so you can't beat that. Yeah. And the bartender's great, and there's a, a, a burlesque-ish dancer in between sets. You know, we got all bases covered. So, people who are listening out there outside of New York City... When you come to New York City on vacation and you're here, the, make sure you come the last Saturday of the month so you will get to see Paul and I sing and some crazy bands and some debauchery of some sort. And get to experience what's left of actual rock and roll in New York City. Yes, because Arlene's is one of how many are left rock venues in town? Uh, well, let's see. Let me count. Uh, Arlene's uh, one. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's pianos, oh, okay. which is oh, well, not too yeah. far. And I haven't been in pianos in years, <laughs> but yeah, it is there. I haven't been in there in years either. Do they still have, like, rock and roll there? They do. I mean, not what you and I call rock and roll, but they do have bands in there still. And they have some shitty DJs. Oops, I mean DJs uh, downstairs and upstairs. Um, I got to know pianos, I don't know. 10 years ago or something. It was before you and I met. It was a long time ago. Sure. Uh, because my friends Shandy Sullivan, who you may know from a very popular cycle of America's Next Top Model, and uh, Rick Conti, they used to host My Sweet Karaoke up there. And that's how I got to be a regular in there. Never got the DJ there, though. Oh, well. Certainly Pianos was in action before that. Oh, yeah. I mean, I pianos have been around for a long time. Way before 10 years ago. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and then everything else is in Brooklyn. Knitting Factory moved to Brooklyn, and the living room had moved to Brooklyn, and then it closed shortly after, because I did John Broder's birthday show there years ago. Three years ago? I have no sense of time. Anyway, that closed, and something else just recently closed. What was it? I can't remember. But yeah, there are hardly any good rock and rollish places left in the city because the greedy have come and ruined everything. And uh, wanting to walk around and pretend that they're rock and rollers. <laughs> yeah. And then <laughs> bitch and complain about every fucking thing. Assholes. Uh, but, you know, that's a whole other thing. And if you want to know more about what has been lost, you need to check out Jeremiah's... What is it called? Jeremiah's... Vanishing Lo New York. Vanishing New York, yes. Uh, it's a really great... Uh, blog and he wrote a book that's really great so I remember one year we lost like 50,000 years of New York City history in one year with all these sh things closing it's terrible so <clears throat> that is F-bomb so you don't have to keep asking me that alright now I'll get started with my first song and that song is Telegram Sam oh shit <laughs> Which, the original was done by T-Rex, released in 1972, and the cover I'm going to talk about is done by Bauhaus, released in 1980. Are you familiar with that, Paul? Sounds most dreary. <laughs> well, well, you know. Uh, the original is a glam rock classic produced by Tony Visconti. It's basically another one of Mark Boland's repetitive nursery rhymes. 
purple pie Pete, purple pie Pete, something, 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 <laughs> purple pie Pete. Uh, it's just, it's really ridiculous. Uh, 60s lyrics that sounds like Dr. Seuss wrote it. But the slow-ish, mid-tempo-ish groove is oddly appealing to me. And it's easy for white folks to dance to. Because when you see videos of that stuff from back then, you know that dance that all the kids did, just kind of like shaking their shoulders back and forth. Right. They weren't quite doing the twist. It was just something in between. They could count to four and they were moving. That's it's a little bit of a shuffle and a little bit of a shimmy. Yes. There you go. Shuffle and shimmy. Isn't that in the song lyric? Oh, probably. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. Like, it's specifically in that order. It's ringing a bell. Um, and the Oh, riff- no. There's a, tr- there's a track that the Who did called Shout, Shout Shimmy. Yeah, that's yeah. what it is. Yeah. Shout Shimmy. That's a good one. Oh, yeah. That's right. Um, but it was, a, it was a big hit, but not as big as Get It On, Bang a Gong, which was their big hit that everybody knows. And this riff is very similar to that. So uh, a little bit of trivia there. Telegram Sam was a real person. and But that wasn't his name, though. Uh, his real name is Tony Secunda. And that was Mark Boland's manager. And the reason why Mark Boland called him his main man is because he was his manager and his drug supplier. <laughs> <laughs> so that's usually the reason for everything. Yeah. So. I mean, whose record label was called Main Man? Didn't uh, Bowie. A uh, one David Bowie. Yes. Yeah. So there you go. Tony Visconti, David Bowie. There's a link there. Tony Secunda, I'd, who I'd never heard of before th- reading this, researching this. But yeah, so that's why he's his main man. So now we're gonna listen to these things back to back, and then Paul and I are gonna let you know who we choose as the winner and the loser. So check it out. Okay, so <laughs> what do you think, Paul? Well, you know, that's, that's an okay T-Rex song. The, the original 
song itself, the original track. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm glad to see that the Bauhaus went through and completely stripped it of anything that made it good. They stripped it of the groove and the sex. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty weird, right? They turned it. They turned it into I will, <laughs> I will work for IBM in the future, and I can't get laid, Rock. <laughs> oh man! Well, I think it's a really weird, jagged, staccato rave up, and it's it's very punk rock from the opening guitar. Yeah, but it's, it's like, like and also like it takes off like a rocket and it's only two minutes and 11 seconds compared to three minutes and 46 seconds of the original laid back hippie thing and so you got peter murphy yelling and not repeating the verses repeatedly he only does them each line once and that's it instead of repeating it 800 times and um i think that if whenever you mention bauhaus to anybody they automatically think of bella lugosi's dead because how can you not Right. Well, that's the only Bauhaus song most people even know. No. And then if you are a Bauhaus fan, well, you know most of their music, like you said, is very doom and gloom and mopey and you know, it was it wasn't it was goth. That's what it eventually was called. So to me, I remember hearing this when it came out and I was like, I didn't know that it was Bauhaus. Like somebody was playing it at a party and I heard it and I was like, Holy crap, who's doing this? And they're like, It's Bauhaus. What? So I was taken aback. Yeah. Well, well, it's the that is the one thing you can say about this version of the song is that it's nothing like the T Rex version, and it's nothing like Bauhaus. Right. So it's kind of like they took it and just threw it. There's like this third world somewhere that they yeah. sent it to. You know. It's really weird because after hearing oh, oh, oh Peter Murphy, and it's like ah, Telegram Sam. Yeah. Like he's all pissed off. Um, so who wins for me? It's the original. Because of what you just said, the groove and the sex. We're, we're stripped of it, yeah. Yeah, we're I stripped as it were. Yeah, I love. That's why I like the original better. So, sorry, Bauhaus, you lose. And if Peter Murphy, if you're still here in, in town doing your residency at La Poisson Rouge, and somebody hips you to this, you you lost. <laughs> that's what I have to say. And you're saying he's the loser too, there, Paul? Yes. Oh, well, yeah, I mean, I, do I even have to say who I think is best? No, you don't. I mean, I may have spoken ill of T-Rex in the past, <laughs> but I mean, yeah. Not ill, just telling the truth. That's true. I mean, I don't hate T-Rex. I, I actually kind of, I actually really want to like them. <laughs> I, I want to like them. But, yeah, it's, it's not that easy. Anyway. Yeah, I would like to like them more, too. But the sex gets in the way. Because, you know, he's just so cute and so hot. Oh, well. Song number two is Like a Virgin. Everybody knows who did the original. It was Madonna, Louise, Ciccone, Penn, Ciccone. No, wait a minute. Didn't she marry somebody else in between there? Uh, Who knows? Sean Penn. She didn't marry her, her daughter's father. Whatever. That hooker Madonna. It came out in 1984. And I have two covers of this that are interesting. The first one is by the Lords of the New Church. Do you ever hear about hear them? I heard about it, but I haven't heard it. My friend Rick is a big Stib Bader fan, so okay. that certainly was in my orbit at some point. Yeah. Um, so they released it in 1985, and then Motley Crue covered it this year. 
for that thing that was on Netflix, The Dirt. Well, I've been blissfully unaware of that up until the second. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I was surprised by that. I didn't, because I didn't see that thing. And by thing, I mean... <laughs> that awful film? That uh, whatever it was. Was it one shot or was it a series? Like a mini-series It was thing. just a movie. One series. Yeah. Oh, it wasn't a series. One terrible movie on Netflix that starred some dude who goes by Machine Gun Kelly. Some... For that alone. I mean, what the fuck, man? I'm really pissed. Sidebar. I'm really pissed about that Netflix thing because... I read that book when it first came out 15 years ago, 16 years ago, 18 years ago, whatever it was, and I could not put it down. I literally bought it on my way to work, and then luckily I was doing an after-school program with kids who were just on autopilot, and I read it the whole time and got home and finished reading it. I read it in practically one sitting, and I thought, this is going to be an amazing fucking movie if they ever get their shit together. So it was in turnaround for 20 years, and then... This is what happens. It's on Netflix. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, honestly, it could have been a really amazing film, but I didn't really hold out much hope that that would actually happen. Because, yeah. not because it wasn't possible. The possibilities were almost endless. Just, come on. <laughs> uh, why? Money. Money, yeah. Basically. Money will always prevent art from being good. That's good. That's a really good quote. I'm going to put that on a t-shirt. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it's just, it's mind-boggling, because I know it went through at least two different studios. Oh, we're getting close. Oh, it's going to happen. Uh, you know, and then whatever. And, of course, those guys don't have enough money to get it, you know, produce it on their own. So, you know, and I'm not uh, hating on Netflix. I don't have it. I've never watched anything on there. But uh, everybody I know who watched it made fun of it because they said it was shitty. Yeah. And stupid and like a joke. And uh, well, you know, there's also a little uh, matter of the trailer. That kind of. Oh, God. <laughs> that alone, you think, okay, sometimes the trailer doesn't well represent a film, but eh, there was no way anything was going to be salvaged from what I was seeing that, in that trailer. Yeah, it was awful. I think I, I saw a couple of scenes from it uh, that were posted on YouTube after it was out, you know, because people you know, put it on their VHS and then put it on YouTube or whatever. But, uh, yeah, it was, t ugh, it was so bad. So end of sidebar. But if you have not read the dirt, you got to run out and get that book tomorrow, today, tonight and read it. Cause it is phenomenal. Phenomenal. If only for learning about how Tommy Lee, how his brain works and why he's Wait. been with the woman he's been with. What brain? <laughs> Whatever that Wait, is in his head. Two questions. One, he has a brain, and yeah. if he does, it works? It works. <laughs> yeah. it's I mean... It's twisted and crazy, but it works. It, Tom, see, the, the, the brain... The brain. My, the, the brain that I don't have, either. My brain went off somewhere with Tommy's. But The Dirt is written in the same style of Please Kill Me, and where yes. it's they just go to each person, and they give you a, a, a quote, and, um, and they all run together to tell the story. Tommy Lee's for the first thing he says in the film when he finally pops up is do fuck <laughs> that's his opening quote in the fucking book, book. yeah it's like oh well, alright well <laughs> and, the eloquence is about to begin you know I mean uh, do I give him more credit than he deserves I suppose so maybe <laughs> but uh, I, yeah it's a great book and you gotta read it so back to the song 
So the Lords of the New Church, for those of you who don't know, they were a super group uh, made of former punk rockers from the Dead Boys, the Damned, Sham 69, the Barracudas, and some others that were blended together as a post-punk, new-wave, glamish band. And the original members were Stiv Baters, Brian James, Dave Traguna, or Traguna, I don't know which way you say it, Traguna, and Nick slash Nicky Turner. Uh, he went by Nicky, but his real name was Nick, I suppose, Nicholas. That's uh, what his mommy called him. That's, that's what his mommy called him. So this, uh, yeah, this, all right, well, we're going to listen to them. <laughs> we're going to listen to them and then compare and contrast at the end. So hold on to your hats and check this out. like a Motley Crue version of that song to make me appreciate Madonna. <laughs> oh, I know that that's hard for you to say out loud. Hey, you know what? That was so fucking awful that I say that so with a smile and, and utter willingness. I I practically tip my hat to Madonna after hearing that. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, uh, yeah. Um, the Lords of the New Church version is just 
you know, yeah, it was okay. sloppy, goofy. It was a total joke. Like they, you know, they follow the arrangement perfectly. I mean, it sounded like they got the synth part like from the original master. It sounds like it's a karaoke. Like yeah, almost like they just had the original like backing a karaoke track, track and then Stib just sang over it, <laughs> burping and whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was weird, but good. It's I okay. like it. I like it in the same vein of um, when uh, when Sonic Youth did Into the Groove. You into know, the groovy. Into the groovy. Yeah, like it's just a goof. Um, now Motley Crue. Whew. Okay, so first of all, I did not know that this existed because, like I said, I didn't see that Netflix thing. So. Uh, <laughs> Well, see, the thing is, is that at least in the case of the Lords of the New Church version and that Sonic Youth trash you're talking about, at least in those cases, those bands were in on the joke. They were in on the joke. Motley Crue, I don't think they... I don't think they quite hear themselves the way the rest of us do. <laughs> no, and in a way, I mean, what I read about it was that... Um, did Tommy come up with it? It was either Tommy or Nikki, And... You know, apparently they were, like, playing it on their own at home and thought, you know, blah, 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 and they were afraid to present it to the band. And then when they were in a meeting, you know, whoever it was, Nikki or Tommy, presented it, and everyone was like, yeah, that's fucking rad, blah, we're going to do that, it's great, let's do it. So they decided to do it. Now, you know, they thought that it was genius to go into the minor key uh, for the chorus and slow it down. Like, nobody's ever done that before. Right. Um... And kind of in a weird way, that this reminds me of what tragedy would do to it. Uh, sort of, except sorta. The, the, the vocals would be good. Yes, well... <laughs> and they wouldn't be pitch-corrected to fucking w- all hell. Without a doubt. I mean, of course, tragedy would do a much better job. But uh, that's what makes me feel like it, it's just as goofy as Lords of the New Church one, because... How are you guys taking yourself seriously? Like, it, it, all at once, it sounds like something... They could have done this in 1980-whatever, instead of this year. Well, that's just the thing. They could have done this in 86 or 87... Yeah. ...and pulled it off, I think. Um, I mean, you know, I think they were shitty then, too, but Vince could have just sang it and not, you know, needed a computer to do 90% of his work for him. Wow, 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 you know, wow. For uh, one thing. I... Because I would listen to this, you know, like, eight times in a row with my in-ear headphones to really figure out what was going on with his voice because you know you know his signature nasal eh, that wine thing but then I was listening and I was like what is happening here how many how much auto-tune is going on hmm. you know his voice obviously totally shot you know it sounds like it almost sounds like they did a, a sample of the tone or the sound of his voice and then just played it on a keyboard keyboard <laughs> Yeah, it does sound like that. Yeah. So listen closely, children, because you're going to hear, oof. yeah, it's going to hurt. But uh, yeah, Molly Crew. I still love those dopes. <laughs> I don't know why. Uh, so I say that Lords of the New Church win. Really? I do. You, you like, and why do you like this better than Madonna's? Uh,. Oh, not better than Madonna's. I like it. Well, I like it better than Motley Crue's for sure. And do I like it better than Madonna's? You know what? As a matter of fact, I do, because her her vocal is also tweaked to sound like Betty Boop in it. 
Oh, she, it was probably a pitch thing. She probably sang it a lower pitch, and then when they bring it back they up... They turned it up. Yeah, they dialed it. And it's just like, like a virgin. Make it sound younger. Hey! You know, it's way... It's not out of her range, but it was just like, what is going on here? And if I ever get to spend ten minutes with Nile Rodgers, I'm going to ask him what happened. Yeah, only he knows. He knows for sure. Only he knows for sure. Um, yeah, so that's what I say. Lords of the Lords of the New Church. They win. Well, you know who I pick? Who do you pick? <laughs> Madonna. <gasps> what? <coughs> what? Yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, the Motley Crue track is obviously just piece just of shit. Garbage. <laughs> I yeah. mean, it's just a complete it's terrible. piece of garbage. The Lords of the New Church track is enjoyable enough as a, as a goof. But it's the same track with with Stiv just sort of joking over the top of it. The Madonna one is just sort of, you know, I mean, I hate Madonna and I don't like that song, but if it, it, it just kind of, in the end, it just comes off as the most uh, legit track out of all of them. Well, it is the most legit. That is for sure. Too legit to quit. Hey, hey. not quite like MC Hammer, but yeah. Um, all right, Madonna, you heard it here, people. This is on tape, Paul. This will be. This is the first and most likely the last time you'll ever hear <laughs> any non-discouraging words. About, non, yeah, yeah, non, about Madonna. About from Madonna me. from you. This is stunning. I can't even believe it. Wow. Okay. Yeah. All right. Shall we go on to song number three? No. No. Okay. Now we. Okay. On uh, my terms. <laughs> song number three is a song called. He was really saying something. And it was done by the Velvets in 1964. The cover was done by Bananarama in 1982. And they changed the title to Really Saying Something instead of He Was Really Saying Something. Because, I don't know, maybe two other words. They couldn't get it together. So, uh, the original is a classic Motown soul tune from the 60s that was written by Norman Whitfield, William Mickey Stevenson, and Edward Holland. No dozier. And uh, only one Holland. Um, so, it's your classic standard Motown, you know, hand claps, strong 4 4 beat, call and response vocals, Barry Sax, have to have a Barry Sax phone, uh, and a kooky chorus, you know, bop bop, shooby doo wop. Because it was, you know, the 60s. Uh, it's very charming. I've loved it since I was a kid. And uh, you might remember their earlier hit song. Needle in a haystack, lang doodle lang. Needle in a haystack, yeah, yeah, shadoop. Shadoop, what a shadoop. Yeah, I love that song. That was featured in... Did you ever see that video uh, from the 80s? It was a compilation called Girl Groups. And it was Girl Groups of the 50s, so they had the Ronettes and... It was a commercial they had for for a record you could order. No, no, no. It was Rhino put it out, I think. It was an actual VHS tape. I had it for a million years. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it was just, you know, them on the Tammy show and blah, blah, blah and all that. And that was the first time I really got into the song. Like, I heard it as a kid because my parents played it. But that was just like, oh, wow, this song is fucking great. And I really got into it. I don't think I know this song. Ooh. What? Yeah. I mean, maybe when you play it, I'll be like, oh, shit, but so far, I'm kind of... You're not getting anything? You're getting a blank there? Oh, dear. Well, we're going to listen to them, and then 
see what you have to say. So everybody check this out. So, what do you think? Well, I think, I think it's pretty good. <laughs> I, you know, I barely, I barely remember the original. I definitely remember the cover. Yeah. And I think they're both pretty good. They're both pretty good. What I really love about the Bananarama cover is, well, it was um, produced by Funboy 3. Which is signature, you can tell because it's really saying something with their voices low, with an echo, um, you know, multi tracked. And then they always do like low percussion drum thing, like that sounds sort of jungly in a sense. Yeah. Um, You know, they're deep, almost whispered backing vocals. The video was on MTV a million times a day, you couldn't escape it, Uh, promoting their album called Deep Sea Skiving. Which I don't understand what that means. Well, now skiving. Fun Boy Three. Yeah. This being an '80s thing and everything. Yes. Were there only two of them? No, there were three. There were oh, actually wow. three. Wow. Not like as, the Thompson Twins. Not as clever as some of those others. <laughs> not like the Thompson Twins, but there were three of them. No, there were actually three dudes in Fun Boy Three, and they were all interchangeable in those bands. Uh, you know, Terry, what's his face? Uh, they they did the backing on uh, Our Lips Are Sealed you know, uh, the original version, and um, all that two-tone shit. They run everything. So, the one I like better, I'd have to give it to the Velvets, the original. Yeah. I, part of me wants to give it to the Pananorama just for the nostalgia factor, because it's like, oh yeah, I, I kind of, you know, suddenly it's kind of 1984 or 5 right now. Yeah. But, the original one's better. It is much better. Um, 
You can't beat Motown. You just can't. That's what I say. So, are you ready to go to the next one? <laughs> yeah. Oh, really? Okay. All right. So, the next song is a big hit that everybody knows, everybody sings along to. Can you dance to it? Not really. But it's called I Know, in parentheses, I'm Losing You. And the original was done by The Temptations in 1966. And I've got two covers here. The first by Rare Earth in 1970. And the second, Rod Stewart and the Faces in 1971. So the original, again, classic Motown. You know what song it is from that opening guitar riff. The tambourine hits, and then David Ruffin comes in with his soulful and pain vocal, and then it's pretty much all over. Funk Brothers kicking ass, crazy horn section, and it's only 2 minutes and 29 seconds long. signed by Motown. Did you know that? They were uh, on Motown. Yeah, yeah, they were they were like a white boy soul. They were the thing. first white band signed to Motown that had big hits. Did you know that there were other white bands that were signed to Motown before them? Uh yeah, I, I don't hmm. Well there was the um, Mo West label. Right. There was a, there was a Mo West label with that was but that was kind of more that was more towards white groups but not necessarily R&B groups. R&B groups. Well, you know, they were more kind of rock and pop groups. There were the Rustics, R-U-S-T-I-X, Rustics, the Dalton Boys, and the Underdogs. I don't know any of those groups. Me neither. Nobody does. And Rare <laughs> Earth themselves were named after a Motown-affiliated label called Rare Earth. Right. Yes. Yeah, okay. Now that explains that. Now that's something I didn't know because I'm not really much of a fan of Rare Earth, so I don't know much about them. But I always thought. Damn, were they these guys really that big? Where they had their own fucking label? Because <laughs> I knew there was a rare earth label. Label, yeah. Like man, they only have like one hit, <laughs> right? You know, Motown affiliated. Um, so this this cover, it's the album cut is ten minutes and fifty seven seconds long. Because it opens with, uh, well, it follows in the footsteps of "I Just Want to Celebrate." 
you know, kind of vibe. And with this guy's voice, you just can't escape that feeling, that thought. Um, it opens with this long, eerie B3 chord that crescendos, and then the bass comes coming in, and then the drums, and then the singer, his name is Gil Bridges. Then that echo stuff happens. And this crazy searing guitar riff that goes on for almost two minutes until the first verse comes in. And then it's like wah, 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 you know, guitar. And then it's like the psychedelic soul party with this guy. And if you've never listened to this entire thing, you have to listen to it now because I love it. It's great. I love this dude's voice. I wish I was old enough to have seen them live back in the day. My mom loved this guy's voice. I, when I first heard him, I thought he was black. I didn't know what was going on. And they also covered Get Ready. Which is, which is the hit. Which is the hit, exactly. Um, Rod Stewart and the Faces. You know that one. I do. Yes. And for those who don't know, the Faces, they were a super group. Um, first there was a band called the Small Faces, and then Steve Marriott left to form Humble Pie, right? That's what happened? Yes. Um, so the faces were Ian McLaggen. McLaggen? McLaggen. 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 Uh, Ronnie Lane, Kenny Jones, Ronnie Wood, and Rod Stewart. So their version opens with one of the craziest, well, not craziest, but it's a badass guitar riff that is instantly recognizable. Uh, and this whole song just goes on to kick your ass. It's a lot of feel. They rock the shit out of it. And Kenny Jones' drum solo is just ridiculous. The video of this thing, the first time I discovered it, I don't remember when I did, but I literally watched it for an hour, over and over and over again. I could not stop watching it. Yeah. So get to YouTube and watch that shit, because it's bananas. Uh, it's, it's very difficult not to get lost in a Faces YouTube jag. Because uh, yeah. if you go there to watch a Faces video... A live performance video. That yes, is. yes, yes, yes. It's like it's like a chip, man. You can't have just one. <laughs> it is a deep motherfucking rabbit hole. Yeah, yeah. The deepest of the deep. Because anybody who thinks about Rod Stewart the way he is, you know, the way he is now and the way he became, and the, the do you think I'm sexy, Rod Stewart, and then the young hearts be free tonight, Rod Stewart. I mean, that song's okay, but yeah. you know, and the forever young Rod Stewart. Yeah. How how easy it is to forget about the fucking badass motherfucker that Rod Stewart was <laughs> in the early seventies, man. Oh my god. Oh, so good. Yeah, so fucking great. So, for me, the winner is. It's a tie between all of them. I love them all. <laughs> oh really? I do. I well, I can listen to each one of these, fifteen times in a row, and not be bored, not get sick of it, not. No, I mean, I can just do it because they're all really great in their own way. I don't think that either cover, you know, they're, they're both playing it sort of straight for the most part. Arrangements are pretty much the same, but with little different flourishes here and there, especially um, Rare Earths. Uh, but, you know, I think they're all great, so I, I love them all. That's what I say. Well, I'm going to have to give it to... I'm going to have to give it to the faces. Faces. I mean, it's it's very difficult to, to put that over the temptations, but man, in the end, I I, I think I have to go with the faces. Well, I'm not mad at you. Yeah. I, I mean, you I, know, I when I say it's difficult it. to put it over uh, the impressions, the <laughs> <laughs> temptations. It's yeah, it's, it's it's I don't mean that apologetically. I mean that to, you know 
to myself like oof man you know but yeah but it's got to go with the paces I think there there I mean you know Rod, Rod just has that extra rock and roll grit to it that just it's so good yeah you can't well, it isn't even just Rod. I mean, everybody. I mean, you know, because the thing is, is Rod could be doing exactly what he was doing in front of some other random band of people, and it would not have sounded like that. No. It was... They, that was magic, that group. Yeah. Total magic. Another band I wish I could have seen. I wish I was old enough to have seen, because they just crushed that shit. So good. So fucking good. So, listen to all three people, because, you know, you have to. All right. Song number five is one of my all-time favorite songs. I love it, love it, love it. It's called California Man. The original was by The Move in 1972, and the cover was done by Cheap Trick in 1978. Uh, The original is very much Little Richard, Jerry Lee Lewis, Larry Williams-influenced 50s piano bop sound, up-tempo boogie-woogie, written by Roy Wood, and produced by, surprise, Jeff Lynn and Bev Bevan. Is that his real name, Bev Bevan? <laughs> well, you know, there's many mothers out there who want to name their son Beverly. Be- Beverly. Oh, it's Beverly Bevan. That's what it is. I didn't even think about that. Fuck. British I, I don't do know. That. I'm making that up. I don't know that his oh, name is But British, Beverly. there are dudes named Beverly. British. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is that, a name. That may well be it, then. I bet that's what it is. Why am I thinking of this now, like 8,000 years later? (laughs) (laughs) Bev Bevan, how did he come up with that? His name is Beverly, I'll bet. God damn it. All right. I'll have to look that up later, Um, which is a great name. But anyway, he played the drums. It was just the three of them who recorded this song, just the three of them by themselves. Um, So guess what it sounded like, because Jeff Lynne was involved. The Electric Light Orchestra. Um, Do ya... The original version of Do Ya is the B-side of this thing. So if you're an ELO fan and you never heard of the move, you just learned something. Um, And ELO was a side project of the move. So after they did the move, for not very long, I mean, like maybe two albums they put out or something, if that, and then they went right to ELO. Well, there were... Yeah, there were maybe four Move albums, and Jeff Lynne like didn't that. come in until maybe like the third album. Third, yeah, it was, was toward really the late end. In the game. Yeah, because um, if you look up the stuff, you'll see that they're different people. Uh, yeah. you know, uh, band members, team members. Um, so, if you've never heard this song before, number one, I don't think you're going to find it on iTunes. But number two, go to YouTube right now and type in the Move California Man, and you will see a clip from Top of the Pops. From June 22nd, 1972, and watch them perform this on Top of the Pops. <laughs> I mean, the outfits, the hair, the set, it's just, it's pure 1972. That's all I can say about it. It's bananas. I'm, I'm basically picturing a, uh, a TV appearance by the suite. Uh, you've, oh, you've never seen this video? I probably have, but I mean, but not really knowing just right off the bat oh, what it looks like. Yeah. You know, I'm sure it's, you know, cuffed knickers, <laughs> you know, it's platforms, silver platforms, right? It's something. Stars. I mean, just Jeff Lynn's hair alone. Because you're so, we're so used to seeing his afro, but it is not an afro. No? No. It's 
Well, I'll show you oh, the video. Well, yeah. I'll, Maybe I haven't seen this. I'll show you the video in a second. But, trivia, guess who their manager was? Um, <laughs> Brian Epstein. Nope. Tony Secunda. Oh. Mark well, Boland's manager. Yeah, well, that could have something little something to do with... Mm. I don't know. Surprise! Yes, and I will say that these guys were heavily influenced by The Who, um, but they smashed televisions instead of smashing guitars like Pete <laughs> A lot cheaper. A lot, a whole lot cheaper. So, um, I'm going to, uh, we're going to listen to these now, and then let you know who we pick. Check it out. So, uh, you know, the cover, um, you've sung this song. How many times have you sung this song, Cheap Trick, the Cheap Trick version? Uh, only, probably only once. I mean, if you want to count the rehearsals, I mean, then it's... No, but didn't you, you've, you've I thought you well, did we it did more that than one show. we did at Bowery Electric, but we only did it that one time. Oh, that was it? I mean, I've sung Cheap Trick songs on numerous occasions, but that particular song, only that one show. You didn't do it for F-Bomb? No, I did Drowned. Oh, Drowned, that's right, Okay. Um, yes, well, you do a, do a killer version of that. So, uh, you know, out of the two, which one do you like better? Hey, I go, I'm Cheap Trick. I'm, I'm Club Cheap Trick. Club Cheap Trick. <laughs> I, have you ever seen the Live at Budokan video of that song? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's not as epic as the other ones. You need to watch the, uh, you need to watch the move video instead, people. But, um, who do I pick? I don't know. I mean... <sighs> I love the nostalgia of the Moo version. Because um, it is extraordinarily 50s. Well, the Moo version does sound the way that song actually 
actually is supposed, supposed to, sound. to sound. Yeah, they actually are capturing what is intended by this by the the, the song's writer, right? Um, which was Jeff Lynne. Jeff. Uh, no, was it? No, um, Roy Wood wrote it. Roy Wood, sorry. Yeah, um, and you know, that's what Roy Wood intended. That's what he wanted. Um, so Cheap Trick took it to another place, but I just I just like Cheap Trick's version better. Yeah, and it's very of its time, Cheap Trick's version. Because yeah. that was 78, and it's, you know, super guitars and guitar rock, and Robin Zander sounds great, and it's great. Uh, all right, I, Cheap Trick wins. <laughs> I agree. I mean, yeah, Robin Zander's vocals alone, you know, gives him enough power to win almost any contest. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's very true. Yeah, it's just so good. That Live at Budokan video is kind of funny. All right, this is the last song, song number six, and this song is Love Roller Coaster. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. <laughs> the original was done by the Ohio Players in 1975, and the cover was done by the Red Hot Chili Peppers in 1996. Yeah. So the original, if you haven't heard it, and I I can't believe you haven't heard this, if you haven't oh, heard oh, uh, it, people. Not you. Oh, okay. I'm like, oh, I have. I know you have. I'm sorry to say. I'm talking about ladies and gentlemen out there in podcast land. You should have heard this song by now. You have to have heard this song by now, because it's Love Roller Coaster. How could you not? Did you watch Soul Train? You don't have to be black. You just heard the song. Um, it's this crazy, funky riff that goes up and down like a real roller coaster because the song is about, you know, ups and downs of being in love and being in a relationship. And it slides from the key of C down to an A and then back to a C again through the whole song. Up and down. Very good simile. It's from their Honey album. And if you know anything about Ohio Players albums from the 70s, uh, it was the one with the naked chick holding a jar of honey and dripping honey all over her face and all over her naked body. Not like the other albums with other naked chicks doing other things. Yes, the Ohio Players <laughs> album that has a naked chick on the cover. That one. That one. Because <laughs> there are only like 10 of them. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so it's classic 70s funk with Sugarfoot going, ow, you know, all over it. Um, and it's fantastic. Uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers, yeah. So we're going to listen to both now and then choose a winner. <laughs> oh dear.
This noise that you're hearing is my fan because we can't have the air conditioner on. It's not as hot as it was last time, which was hot as balls. How hot is it now? It's just humid now. And now it's just hot as a taint. It's hot, <laughs> it's hot as the taint. Because yeah. if you're outside, you get a, a nice cool breeze. It's not bad. It's not that bad. Yeah, my 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 room holds that heat in for a while. Well, you don't have a cross breeze, that's why. You'd yeah. have to keep your door open, and then Dolly Parton would come in here, and then all hell would break loose. Yes, we can't have that. Yeah. But... Um, <laughs> how do you feel about that love roller coaster? I uh, love roller coaster. Okay, so I love the original. You know, you can't not. It's just, it's just great. You know, with the keys in the back and it's good to do the robot too. It's good. Um, sidebar. Did you know about the urban legends? Yes, I was gonna bring this up. Oh my god, yes, I do because I experienced it firsthand as a kid. Oh really? What happened? Yo, <laughs> looks up here. She's patting her eyes like, what? What happened? <laughs> well, okay, I may, maybe maybe I'm maybe I'm misleading you, but well, you, you're talking about the. Yes. Mm-hmm. Sorry, sorry, buddy. That was louder than I had anticipated <laughs> it to be. <laughs> I didn't mean to get totally prints <laughs> on you. But the scream in the background, which is just one of the guys. Well, I remember being in L.A. <clears throat> I think we were in L.A at some family member's house. My Aunt Vivian was there, my Aunt Uncle Dino was there, and they had the 45 for Love Roller Coaster. Mm-hmm. And I liked that song. They, they, they liked it because they had the record and I was into it, and they were just playing the record. Right. And I remember them going, hey, talking about it, saying, hey, okay, do you hear that? Do you hear that? And getting to that part where you hear the scream in the background, the screech or whatever, and being, yeah, so, one of the guy's girlfriend was murdered because it, it was being murdered right outside the studio right when it happened and this is you can hear on the record and I don't remember exactly what it, what, what they were saying but that was I was sitting there watching these teenagers basically talk about it discuss this <laughs> and I'm a little you know Love Roller Coaster is what 75? 76? Uh, 75 and so I'm I'm like a 5, 6 year old kid going whoa and I could hear it in the record because you know you can if you listen yeah and for years, I, because the record kind of comes and goes, it's a hit record, and then it goes and you don't think about it for a few years. And it wasn't until I was a teenager that I remembered that one. Oh, yeah, what about that? And then the next time I listened to it, I was like, oh, that's just one of the guys in the band, just, you know. <laughs> you know, it's clear when you, when you get older and you listen again. Yes. Well, for those who've never heard about this, <clears throat> uh, it's a persistent urban legend that during the instrumental portion of the song, a high-pitched scream is heard between a minute 24 and a minute 28 on the single version, or between 2.32 and 2.36 on the album version. Now, this was Billy Beck, but according to the most common legend, it was the voice of an individual being murdered live while the tape was rolling. The victim's identity varies greatly depending on the version that you hear. The supposed sources of the scream have included an individual who was killed at some prior time, her scream inexplicably recorded and looped into the track later. Another version says that a girl had fallen off a roller coaster and was screaming to her death, and somehow somebody recorded that, got it to the Ohio players, and then they decided to put it in the song, right? Another version of the story tells of a rabbit being killed outside of the studio, whose scream was accidentally picked up by the band's recording equipment which is highly implausible as professional recording studios are soundproof. Right. So where are you with an open window where a rabbit is being killed right outside of it 
to pick it up. Now, the most widespread version of the myth tells that Esther Cordet, who appeared nude on the Honey album cover, had been badly burned by the superheated honey used for the photo shoot, which occurred simultaneous with the recording session, and her agonized screams were inadvertently captured on tape. So they're in there in the studio <laughs> recording the song, and she just happens to be just outside of she- it. <laughs> Throwing, putting honey on her while the photographer like they had no time we they have to get this no, record out in gotta, an hour we have to do everything <laughs> so, at the same time yeah. so you put the black backdrop and get her out there and do the shoot and then we're going to be in here and record the song at the same time with the door wide open right what yeah okay well yeah that's a lot of different versions yeah I my recollection was that they were my aunt and uncle and the kids who were talking about it around me said that it was one of the guys in the band's girlfriend who had who was being murdered outside the studio, yeah. and it was picked up. It's so crazy. <laughs> oh, now, Casey Kasem reported the urban myth of the woman being killed in the studio recording booth on his radio show, American Top 40, when the song was on the charts in 76. And Jimmy Diamond Williams, band member, explained that the scream was nothing eerie or disturbing. There is a part in the song where there's a breakdown. It's guitars, and it's right before the second verse, and Billy Beck does one of those inhaling-type screeches like Minnie Ripperton did to reach her high note, or Mariah Carey does to go to octaves above. The DJ made this crack, and it swept the country. People were still asking us years later, Did you kill this girl in the studio? The band took a vow of silence because, you know, sells more records that way. Mm-hmm. So that's why they never commented on it. Yep, <laughs> exactly. So, you know, that's the genius of that. Now, the cover... Oh, see, from genius to... Right down the... Right down the toilet. Uh, It was recorded for the movie Beavis and Butthead Do America. It was not on a regular Chili Peppers record initially. Uh, They used kazoos to cover the horn section. It has uh, extra... I'll say original rap verses because Anthony Kiedis just can't help himself, as you sang earlier, Paul Heba. Oh, And there's some other lyrics sung by some female doing backing vocals or a bunch of chicks. Now, this, when I came in here today and I was on the phone talking to my friend Gary, Gary Helsinger, that is. So Gary and I worked at Tower together Tower Sunset in the 80s in Los Angeles. And the producer of this song worked with us at Tower. Her name is Sylvia Massey. And she wound up, quote-unquote, producing this band. Originally, they were called Green Jello, but then they got sued and had to be called Green Jelly. Featuring our buddy... <laughs> Jim Laspisa. Yes. Jim Laspisa and Bill Tutton. And Gary Helsinger was in it. His name was Hotsey Manshot. Bill Tutton was King Dot. And my dearly recently departed friend, Bill Brown's best friend, Bernie Peaks. Mm. He was Bernie Vicious, played bass. So uh, when Bill Brown and Bernie moved to Hollywood and they didn't have any place to stay and they stayed with me, I got them jobs at Tower, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, this happens. So when I was researching this, and I was like, holy crap, Sylvia Massey? I totally forgot, and it was like, time warp in my brain. And that's what made me call Gary on my way over here to double-check this stuff, because then I got down the rabbit hole of Wikipedia pages dealing with the stuff that she's done. So um, she, people credit her for 
for getting Tool together because I guess she produced their first record or something like that, and hmm. so she's Correct made a career out of almost nothing. Um, but anyway, Danny Carey was also in the band, and he went on to be Tool's drummer. So that's an interesting fact. So Gary Helsinger, Bill Tutton, Jim Laspesa, Bill Manspeaker, my former comrades at Tower Sunset. How you doing over there? I just shouted you out. So who wins this? Obviously the Ohio players, because the Red Hot Shield Peppers stunk this up so badly. And I like the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I defend them. You've heard me defend them. I, I, I Maybe I have. I probably blocked out the memory. <laughs> I, Some of their stuff was really, really great. And just like you two, who I often defend, they came out at a time and a place where what they were doing was not commonplace. See what I did there? And uh, I liked it. Right, well... So not that, commonplace. <laughs> not commonplace. Doesn't always mean good. Good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I agree. But you know, it's Ohio players all the way. Oh, and shout out to Nicole Fleetwood, who is related to Sugarfoot. Oh shit. Mm-hmm. That's. But right. yeah, I mean, obviously Ohio players get it, and I just, I just want to make the the, the the statement that must be made. Yes. Every time Red Hot Chili Peppers come up, that they are. The Beatles of douchebaggery. Oof. That is wow. Them's all right. Yeah, that's true. The du- <laughs> the Beatles of douchebaggery. That should be one of their album title titles. I like that. That's good. All right. So that's six songs for this episode. Episode number eight. I hope that you enjoyed it. It was chock a block with factoids, and uh, you know, the usual. If you have any questions or comments. Hit me up on the Instagram, the gram. It's DJ Crystal Clear. You can email me at djcrystalclear.com. Is that right? No, I don't have a website. It's DJ Crystal Clear. <laughs> <laughs> what am I saying? I should have a website, though. Duh. Um, no, it's DJ Crystal Clear at me.com. That's my email. Jesus Christ. Um, I guess that's it. Any other parting words, Paul, or just the douchebaggery? Oh, no, those, yeah, those, those are the words that I want to leave with. That's it? Okay. All right, that's good. Well, thank you for listening, everybody. And, uh, you know, check out the prior episodes, one through seven. And uh, we're going to record episode number nine. Number nine. Next. Happy motoring! Happy motoring!